When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey there, I'm Grant Wall. Welcome to the Planet Football Podcast. We're continuing to do two podcasts a week, and we're going to start each episode with just a few minutes on the coronavirus latest with my wife, Dr. Celine Gounder, who's a medical analyst for CNN and the co-host of the podcast Epidemic. Then we'll have an interview with someone interesting from the soccer world. Today's interview is Carly Lloyd. A quick reminder, if you like the podcast, it would really help us if you go to Apple Podcasts and provide a rating and a review, and we'd appreciate you recommending the podcast to someone you know. Onward! As promised, we'll start today with a few good minutes with my wife, Dr. Celine Gounder, who's a CNN medical analyst and co-host of the podcast Epidemic. Thanks for joining me. Good to be here. How are you, by the way? I'm okay. You hanging in? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, we're talking on Monday morning, April 6th, here in New York City. New York State now has more than 4,000 reported coronavirus deaths. New York City remains the epicenter of that. What's it going to be like this week where we live right here? We are cautiously optimistic that we may have hit a peak in deaths in New York City, but we won't know for sure until another week or two from now. That said, a peak, when you're at the peak, that means you have a lot. So our hospitals are full. Um, you know, we're really struggling to meet the needs of the patients that we're seeing. And I think there are certain people who seem to think, oh, a peak means this is over. A peak means that this is the worst it's going to be. And it will continue to be bad for a while yet. So the Surgeon General said yesterday, quote, this is going to be the hardest and the saddest week of most Americans' lives, quite frankly. This is going to be our Pearl Harbor moment, our 9-11 moment, only it's not going to be localized. It's going to be happening all over the country. And I want America to understand that, end quote. What do you make of that? Well, I think it's true that Pearl Harbor and 9-11 imprinted, seared into the national consciousness, I think that this is going to be even worse. Um, You know, we have been, as a country, relatively shielded from wars on our own land, from those kinds of traumas that many other nations have faced. And this is the first time we're going to see trauma on this scale nationwide. And I think it's important to remember to put this in context. Pearl Harbor killed about 2,400 people, uh, 9-11, about 3,000. We're almost at 10,000 deaths from COVID-19 in the U.S. And that number is, we're still at the beginning of that. Um, You know, I think of it as sort of dominoes falling 
And New York City and a couple other cities on the West Coast have been the first dominoes to fall. But this is going to penetrate the rest of the country, and we're going to see um, tremendous numbers of deaths um, and hospitalizations throughout the country in the coming weeks. The president and right-wing media in particular have been going against the advice of Dr. Anthony Fauci and promoting heavily the use of hydroxychloroquine against the virus. As a doctor, what's your opinion on that? I think we need to make decisions from a basis of science, not out of fear or anger or other emotion. You know, when we practice medicine, we do so rationally. And I think grasping at straws because you're afraid, whether you're the president or someone else, is not logical. Number two, if you're not a doctor or don't have a medical license or medical degree, you should not be practicing medicine. You should not be prescribing medications to the country. And there are very real reasons that hydroxychloroquine can be unsafe. Um, this is a medication that causes cardiac arrhythmias, which can be fatal. And the very people who are at increased risk for severe COVID-19 uh, are the people who are also at increased risk of having some of these cardiac complications. So if this is going to be done, it has to be done in a highly monitored setting in the hospital where we are monitoring someone's baseline EKG, we're repeating their EKG, we're also putting them on cardiac monitors. This is not a benign thing to be doing. And this is really a decision that should be made by the physician who's treating the patient, not by a public official. The one thing we know that works against the virus is social distancing. Is the U.S. doing enough of that right now? Sadly, no. Um, I think the pattern has been over and over with the you know, very few exceptions, that public officials have waited until there is community transmission, until there are hospitalizations and deaths before acting. And when you wait that long, you've waited too long. You know, we've seen this um, at the local level with Mayor de Blasio in New York City. We've seen this at the national level with the president. Um, and this is, you know, something that crosses party lines, frankly. And I understand that there's fear about telling your constituency, look, we're going to have to employ these very restrictive social distancing measures. But that's what it means to be a leader is understanding what the situation is and being brave to step up to the plate and say, this is what we need to do right now. The CDC changed its recommendations in the last few days and is now saying that people going outside should wear a face covering. Why did that recommendation change? So I want to be very clear um, that these are face coverings not meant to protect you, the wearer. They're meant to protect everybody else from you. And what we've essentially understood over the last couple months here is that this is, an, this is a virus that is more infectious than we realized, and it's transmitted by people who have no symptoms or minimal symptoms who don't even realize that they're sick. And so the idea is so that you, if you have no or minimal symptoms but are a carrier, that you're not spreading to other people. So, you know, there, there have been concerns, well, will this create a false sense of security? Well, why would it? You're not protecting yourself. You're protecting other people. And to protect yourself, the best measures to do so are still social distancing and good hand hygiene, washing your hands. Um, you know, and, and I think the other thing to say is that this is not a recommendation for the general public to be wearing medical masks. And that was another reason there was um, some concern about making this recommendation. There was worry that the American people would then try to hoard N95 masks and other uh, surgical medical masks again. And I think that the 
American people are actually a bit more sophisticated than that. I think that if you explain to them that they will understand that there is a difference here, that those are masks meant to protect the wearer, um, namely the healthcare worker who's being repeatedly exposed at very high levels in the hospital setting, which is not what the general public is dealing with. So, you know, if you're the average person, a cloth mask is perfectly appropriate. Um, and, you know, in addition to that, continue the social distancing measures. Lastly, we're nearing here in New York uh, a month, a full month of lockdown. Uh, what should people be doing for their own mental health right now? I think there is a combination of things. I think one, gratitude. Gratitude for the people who aren't as lucky as you, um, who are still having to go to the hospital and put themselves at risk. Gratitude for the person who's checking you out at the grocery line. You know, people who, again, are putting themselves at risk to meet, uh, you know, essential needs and services in the community. I think, secondly, I think it's helpful if you try to reframe your emotions into action, into planning. And so, yes, we, we have fear, we have anger, we have grief. Um, and But those emotions can also cloud our judgment. And I think what they're really meant to do is signal to us, okay, something's going on here. We now need to do something about it. Um, and so I think that is part of what I think we all need to be doing is asking ourselves, okay, how can I plan for the next step for me, for my family, uh, for my community, uh, based on where things stand now. Dr. Celine Gounder is a CNN medical analyst. She also co-hosts the great podcast, Epidemic, which you should definitely check out with her and Ron Klain. Uh, she's also my wife. She's an infectious disease doctor and internal medicine doctor here in New York. Thanks for doing this. Sure. Take care. Big thanks to Dr. Celine Gounder. Next up is my interview with Carly Lloyd. Our guest today is Carly Lloyd, two-time World Player of the Year, two-time World Cup winner, multi-time Olympic champion. Carly, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Really good to have you on the show. But first off, I just want to ask, how are you? I'm actually good. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's some really tough and challenging times going around in the world. And a lot of sad things, you know, you, you never want something like this to, um, you know, really pose a lot of challenges uh, with everybody around the world. So this is something that, you know, most of us have, have never been through something like this before, where the whole world is, is pretty much shut down. And um, despite all of this, though, you know, I'm, I'm healthy and I'm able to uh, still have a job at the moment. Um, and I'm just trying to kind of find the silver lining in all of this and spend time at home and do things that I normally don't get to do. So um, despite all the sad times, I'm, I'm doing okay and I'm kind of enjoying the pause of life right now. So you're sort of famous for your commitment to training. Um, are you able to do that to the extent that you want right now? I actually am, yes. I'm very fortunate. Uh, James, who I've been working with since 2003, he uh, just got his own facility. So it, it literally just opened up probably a week before our She Believes ended. So when I got home, uh, I took some time off. I took about a week off. I just you know needed a, a mental recharge, didn't know what was happening uh, around the world and if things were going to be shut down, if we were going to go into preseason or not. So there was a lot of uncertainties, but I needed that break. Um, just to take some time off. So I resumed training and it's just, you know, him and I going in there and, and training. Um, obviously it's, you know, nobody else is, is really coming. 
uh, into the facility. So it's just us, which is really great. And I'm actually probably getting better training now than ever in my career because I've got nothing else to focus on but going there, showing up, training. I've got no appearances to worry about, nowhere to fly, uh, no schedule. And I have a, a track nearby that I, I use and then I have a field as well. So I'm, I'm actually in a really good position. And, you know, these, these next couple of months or however long it's going to be, uh, is going to be really huge for me. So I'm taking every ounce of opportunity out of it I can. You did mention that you're able to do some things around the house that you haven't necessarily done much before. What sort of things were you talking about? Well, I'm cooking. I have time to cook. Um, when I'm on the road, you know, we eat out a lot. We have a lot of buffet-style meals, and it's not necessarily the best food. Uh, it depends on hotel to hotel. So when I come home, the last thing I feel like doing is going out to eat. I like to eat healthy and, and cook different meals, but I never really have the time. I'm usually, you know, home for a week, if that, um, or I've got loads of appearances scheduled and I'm in and out and, you know, training and then doing all these things. So I never really had the time to just fully commit to recipes, try different things. So I've been getting a lot of use out of my slow cooker. We've been uh, smoking some stuff on our, our smoker, our Traeger grill, and just really enjoying the time of just waking up and figuring out the next recipe we're going to make. And it's been, it's been fun to actually be a normal human and be home with my husband as well. Nice. Um, not unexpected, the 2020 Olympics, which the U.S. had qualified for, have been postponed until 2021. What are your thoughts on that? So when we concluded the She Believes tournament against Japan in Dallas, uh, that's when everything started to change. You know, the NBA shut down. There were several players who um, contracted the coronavirus. And then it was just, you know, every other organization was following suit. So by the time I got home, I actually flew home from Dallas into Philadelphia, went straight to an appearance in Atlantic City. And that was the only last and final appearance I got in because after that on a daily basis I had and I was busy I was busy in March and into April as well and just everything started to get canceled so the last thing was what's going to happen with the Olympics you know they they weren't saying anything there were a lot of athletes and, and organizations um, that were speaking out about not wanting to send their athletes and there was all this stress of, of what's going to happen. You know, fortunate for me, um, I did have a, you know, I have a good setup as far as training. The only thing I'm missing is actually playing games and, and playing in around my teammates. But from a, a fitness and a technical standpoint, you know, I was going to make do with what I had. But there's still that, that stress of, you know, how long is this going to happen? And uh, I get the, the whole aspect of other athletes, you know, not being able to train, not being able to go to a, you know, a pool and be able to do your workouts and for track athletes, for gymnasts, for everything. I mean, it's affected everything. And when they finally made the decision to postpone it for a year, um, while we all would love to have competed this summer, I think it's in the best interest of everybody, athletes, healthcare workers, people around the world, fans, supporters, um, to postpone it because, you know, nobody's in the right frame of mind right now and nobody's in their, their normal training schedule. So uh, for me, again, find the silver lining in, in most challenging situations. I get another year to prepare. Our team gets another year to prepare. 
the country and the world can hopefully, you know, rebound from what's going on right now and um, just got to put one foot in front of the other and, and now have another year to, to grind it out. So it was definitely the right decision. Now, having the Olympics happen a year later, has that influenced sort of how you view your personal career and how long you were planning to play or now want to play? Um, you know, I've been in a, not a weird spot, but obviously I'm, I'm at the tail end of my career. And so to have had the World Cup in 2019 and then shifting gears immediately to, to get focused on the Olympics, it almost is a little rushed in, in a way. And, um, you know, this has, has given me an opportunity to compete for something. Um, I think that if the Olympics were played this summer and then, you know, I came back and Hopefully there was a victory tour. We finished that out, and then I'd get back into the NWSL season as well. The end of the year, it, it, it would have just felt a little short, you know, cut short for me. Um, I, I, I know that I'm getting older. Uh, it's not really about my body or anything like that. It's, it's the next chapter. You know, it's starting a family. It's, it's being home. It's being like a normal person and, and uh, just not grinding away. So I feel that it would have been, it would have been cut short, but then if I stuck around the following year in 2021, you know, yes, there's the league, the NWSL, uh, there's national team games, but you know, what am I really, really training for per se? Um, so now with, with it being a year, postponed, um, it's actually injected just a lot more motivation on my end. And I have the time right now to really, really get myself a lot more fit, sharper, stronger, a better player. Um, so it's going to give me that opportunity to, to push on and, and just become better. And I think that you know, I've, while I've had no date per se in mind of retiring, officially retiring, I think another year, you know, it, it probably will be the right time. And uh, hopefully I, you know, continue to perform and uh, make the Tokyo roster and would want nothing more than to win a, a gold medal with my teammates and fly off into the sunset. Now, in what seems like a lifetime ago, it was actually just a couple of months ago, you and I were talking about your NFL place kicking possibilities. And, and you seemed like you might be serious about giving that a go uh, where are you on that now especially now that the the calendar has changed well i would you know probably have a lot of time to to actually practice um right now at the moment give me another activity to do um but you know i haven't thought about it too much uh, you know it's first and foremost i'm i'm a soccer player and that's my that's my my goal and my motivation to be the best that i possibly can be um, there's a lot of unknowns right now. I mean, you know, who, who knows how long this is going to go on for this pandemic right now at the moment is the NFL season going to kick off when it kicks off. I mean, there's a lot of, lot of unknowns. So right now my focus is obviously another year of preparation. Um, and then, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not, uh, turning down the, the possibility of it happening in the future. Um, but I think that, you know, it's something that I'll see in a year um, how things are going and, you know, what the uh, excitement is around it. So we'll see. How far could you go in saying exactly how much interest you had gotten from NFL teams to bring in for preseason? 
Um, you know, there were, there, there were two very serious, uh, you know, offers to, to come in and play. And it was just the, the timing of it wasn't right. Um, but if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. I don't want to just, you know, jump into something and, and think that, you know, I can, I can do it without practicing it or anything. So I would have to really spend a lot of time practicing the technique, making sure that, you know, I'm able to do it. Um, obviously take less, a lot less steps, uh, the pads, the helmet, all that. But, um, you know, I'm someone who, you know, never backs, backs down from a challenge. So we'll see what happens in the, in the future. And, I know that, you know, from, from a kicking standpoint, um, you know, age isn't really necessarily a factor and still feeling pretty good. So we'll see what happens. Now, had you had any sort of uh, expert place kicking teachers offer you their services? I have, yes. I've, I've had a couple of people through, throughout the, the Twitter world when, when all this was happening. Um, it was a bit overwhelming, you know, all the messages and uh, you know, there were some obviously some negative comments and, and people that, uh, you know, obviously think that I would absolutely get destroyed being on the field with with men. And I totally get that. There's no denying that they're, you know, a lot bigger and stronger and, and faster. Um, but I actually have a, a friend here who is the kicking coach for the Baltimore Ravens. Um, he lives in our area. He's been a former mayor of uh, a, a town nearby for me. So He's, uh, he breaks down the, the technique, and he's offered his help as well. Um, Randy Brown is his name. So we'll see. Maybe we'll, we'll connect one of these days and start kicking some field goals. <laughs> now, I did want to ask you if you could recreate uh, a situation that happened when a U.S. soccer lawyer was interviewing you. Uh, I guess it was a few months ago, but the filings came out on February 20th, and it was kind of a crazy exchange in the filing. Uh, the U.S. soccer lawyer said to you, quote, do you think the U.S. women's team could be competitive against the senior men's national team? You replied, quote, I'm not sure. Shall we fight it out to see who wins and then we get paid more? Uh, could you give sort of the context around that scene and what your thoughts were? when he took it in that direction? Yeah, it was, uh, you know, obviously my deposition. And um, that was actually, that was in December. That was the last thing I had on my, my calendar for the year. It was, I, I just couldn't wait for, for me to, to get home. I've been busy for, you know, several months up to that point. So um, thankfully it didn't last, you know, incredibly long. But, you know, it was just the whole argument of, you know, us uh, not as skilled as the men. And it, it, it almost seemed like it, it had to be black or white. You know, it was like, okay, well, if you guys do beat the men's team, you know, in my case, my argument was, you know, if we, if we did actually show people that there's a possibility of beating the men's team, would we get paid more? Would it then be a fair enough argument uh, to have that. And so that's kind of where I was at. It was like, you know, I don't want someone to ever come into a room and tell me that I have less skills than men, because I think that my skills are a lot more efficient and a lot better than a lot of men's players. But I don't have the physical attribute and the uh, speed and the strength that they're, they're born with. None of us women do. So you know, there's some incredibly skillful women that play soccer and it was just disappointing 
to hear over and over again the argument of, you know, us not being as skilled as the men. So, uh, you know, I had to find some some funny remarks um, just to kind of keep the, the whole mood enlightening. And that was just one of them that, that came out and um, went public. Yeah, it is interesting just speaking myself here that when that came out, it got response, but nobody was resigning as the president of U.S. soccer and sponsors weren't calling it out. And then uh, once more of that argument came out in filings later on, that was when sponsors went nuts and, and Carlos Cordero resigned. Um, there has been obviously a lot of change with the U.S. Soccer Federation. Cindy Parlo Cohn is now the president. She's taken over. What do you hope happens with U.S. soccer moving forward? You know, I think that the biggest thing is um, a culture. I think that, you know, the women's team has had a culture over the years. The men's team has had a culture. But I think as a whole, we need the culture to, to shift, to change. We need um, everybody to feel united. You know, and I, I even said this recently on a, another uh, podcast that, you know, I wish that we integrated more with the men's team. I wish that we had, you know, camps, if it worked out side by side, you know, maybe training camps, maybe the January camps, you know, we, we call, all kind of go to the same place and, and just have a bit more um, interaction because as long as I played on the national team, that's never really happened. And even if we are in the same spot, you know, we, we all go our separate ways. So I think just creating a culture from the top on down and, and an alignment within, you know, the women's game and the men's game and, and just kind of keeping it, keeping it all as one, um, you know, the slogan, one, one nation, one team thing. I think we, we really need to, to kind of bridge that. And so, uh, you know, I, I obviously got the opportunity to play with Cindy um, for a couple of camps when I came in. And now I've obviously seen her on, you know, the other side, uh, her post-playing career and, and doing that. So, you know, I hope that, and, and I know if speaking with her, like she knows, she knows that there needs to be a shift. She knows that things need to change. But I think as a whole, I think that, I, I hope that we just, you know, everybody makes this just a better, a better place culturally. Um, because I think when you have that, you've got people that want to work there. You've got uh, players who want to play and it just makes everything a lot better. So um, we'll see what happens, you know, in light of all this. I mean, kind of maybe not the, the best time in um, amongst this whole pandemic, but hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully things are, are going to be uh, for the better. I really like that idea of more overlap between the U.S. women's and men's teams. It's interesting because I did a story on uh, the Reyna family a little while back, and both Claudio Reyna and his wife, Danielle, played for the national team. And they actually met when both teams were staying at the same location and training. They had training camps at the same time right before the 94 World Cup. And... You know, obviously they have a son, Gio, who's doing really well over in Dortmund. And I, I don't think we need to encourage, you know, pairing up and having kids. But like, I, I think just the, the idea of the teams being one, one, uh, one national team in that sense would be kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, even, you know, even just, you know, not saying we need integrated practices either, but I think it'd be fun to, you know, to just do some rondos with the guy, you know, intermingle and have some of us women in there and men. I mean, it would just be, 
it would be fun. And then when you're watching their ga- the games and, you know, you get to know more of these players, you, you pull for them more and you, you kind of have a, a better understanding of them from a relationship standpoint. So I don't know. That's my idea. And maybe that'll happen one day. Cool. Um, I wanted to ask about Vladko Andonovsky. He's obviously uh, the U.S. coach now. Uh, you've had him for a few months. What have you learned about him? He's fantastic. I have nothing but good things to say about him. I think majority of the team feels the same way. Uh, he's been someone who's come on, knows that we're the best team in the world, knows that we have a load of talent um, and amazing players in, in, within the squad, but just putting those fine little details and uh, you know having us play the way that you know his philosophy is and it's not like he's coming in here and trying to reinvent the wheel. You know, he's done a great job of, of coming in and, and wanting to make every player individually better and then the team collectively better. So I think that's been something that's been really fantastic and different from him as opposed to other coaches that, um, that I've had on the national team is that the individual development piece is, is big. Uh, he's very detail oriented. We have a lot of meetings, a lot of tactical meetings. We discuss things, we talk things through. Um, but he's really, really getting us to play some really, really good soccer. And, you know, I think that the biggest thing, uh, which now we're going to obviously have a lot more time to do is, is the final third piece. I think that's probably the hardest piece, um, within any team, you know, is that last and final phase, but to be, sophisticated with it, to be tricky, to be able to, uh, you know, if, if one gate's closed and teams are bunkering, you know, we have to find another way to be able to, to be successful. So that's what we kind of ended on in the She Believes tournament. We worked a lot on kind of the final third play and um, just doing different things. And so now uh, we obviously have a lot more time and uh, it's going to make the competition, you know, that much stronger. And um, yeah, I, I think he's fantastic. And I'm just soaking up every ounce of little detail he gives me and um, just want to be, you know, the best possible player and help the team. Whenever the NWSL season does start, and we don't know at this point, uh, it seems like your team Sky Blue FC has a lot to look forward to, maybe more so than in past years. What stands out to you about where this team's headed? Yes. Um, you know, I obviously wasn't in preseason and the start because of the She Believes Cup, but they were together for a week. I heard things went really well. Everybody's doing doing great. Um, a great facility. Um, sessions have been great. And I think the team morale has been great. So it's really, really good to hear. Um, I feel like every year we've had some sort of challenging situation within Sky Blue, um, probably multiple challenging situations prior than when I was there as well. But um, whenever the season does kick off and start, uh, I'm really, really excited about it because, you know, I think throughout my, my league uh, career, um, you know, I've been on teams where, uh, you know, they're not stacked with the best players. I've never really wanted to be on a team that is like that. You know, I like teams that are more of the underdog and, and teams that, maybe have less national team players because that's going to put me in a position to be a better player, a better leader, um, and, and force me to, to find a way um, and help my teammates and make them better. So now we've actually got some really good players in place, um, and I think that it's going to make the competition so much stronger. It's going to push people to, 
you know, to put their, their foot down on the pedal. And, um, you know, because if you don't, somebody else is going to come in and perhaps take your position. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it incredibly, um, you know, as much as I can now that we're kind of at a halt, but, um, you know, players like Mallory Pugh and McCall Zerboni, and we've got some good draft picks. We've got Midge who's coming in now. We've got a lot of good pieces. So I'm looking forward to it. They've done a, a lease in, you know, everybody else at Sky Blue has, has done an amazing job of, of uh, taking, you know, taking this team on another level. Plus, as someone who lives in New York City, I'm fired up that you'll be playing out at Red Bull Arena. A little easier to get to, at least from my perspective. Uh, and I think for a lot of fans, too, who are excited about that. Yeah, it's, it's going to be good on so many different fronts. It's going to make my commute a little bit longer. It's about two hours one way. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, but I'm getting a break of that right now. But, uh, no, it's, it's good on so many different levels. And it, it's just it's great for, for the league. It's, it's great for the fan base and everything. So I wanted to have a little fun to finish things up here and give you uh, the rapid fire quiz is what I call it. I like to do this with the best players in the world uh, and I've had a lot of fun with it over the years. So we're gonna get going here. The first one, what are your most memorable goals for club and country and why? Ooh, uh, I'm going to have to say uh, I scored a goal against Orlando, Ashlyn Harris, as a matter of fact. Uh, it was, gosh, I have to look up what's, what's he, I think it was, I think it was the second season. It was a one touch ball back. I was at the edge of the box and I just kind of curled it in. It was a, it was a, it was a good goal. Nice. Um, for country, probably have to say the 2015 World Cup final shot from midfield. Just not like any other shots I've ever taken. I figured that might be the call. Uh, next question. What's the highest quality goal you've ever scored and why? Highest quality goal. I would probably have to say this past, uh, when we played Costa Rica, I believe in November, I want to say, um, I believe it was a pass from Rose who played me through and I, what I've been working on lately is, is, you know, I don't have to go power all the time. So I've been working a lot on my bend. So I bent it around, um, kind of shift the keeper. So that one, that one kind of sticks out to me. We'll actually track down the videos uh, for the written version of this story and insert them in there. Next question. What is the achievement on the field that you are most proud of and why? Mm, probably 2015 World Cup. Uh, just the way that, you know, the team started in the beginning, the way it ended. And then for me personally, you know, I was kind of down in the dumps from the beginning and then it was just life changing in the end. Next question. Who is the player you have most admired and why? Anybody? Anybody. Anybody. Um, soccer player or any other sport? Soccer player. Soccer player. Okay. Um, I would probably have to say Michelle Akers. She was someone who I looked up to um, as a younger player because she just she just was a beast. She left it out on the field. Um, she would run through a brick wall for teammates and just yeah, just dominant on on defense, on attack, everywhere. If it was a non-soccer player, who would you pick? Probably, I'd probably have to say Kobe Bryant. Okay. Yeah. Why? 
just love his mentality. Uh, just, just the will to want to become the best. And then, you know, even if he did reach goals to just keep on and, and becoming even better. I mean, he just, he just was the epitome of a, a true champion, you know, found a way and um, yeah, it was, was someone that I totally looked up to. Next question. Who is the best player you have ever played against and why? Best player. I would probably have to say Formiga. Huh. Um, she, she's just so good. I mean, she makes the game look easy. She plays simple. Um, yeah, she's good. And, and I would probably have to say Marta and Kelly Smith. Okay. Nice. Um, who is the toughest defender you have ever faced and why? Probably Becky. Becky's a tough defender. Um, she's always Yeah, she's always uh, always hard to get around. But I would say Crystal. Crystal is so low to the ground that you can just never spin her. You just got to kick her, and I tell her that. I'm like, I just, I just kick you, make you fall, and then that's how I can get around you. Pretty impressive since that is not her natural position. Um, who is the toughest goalkeeper you've ever tried to score on and why? Well, none of them because my shots just go in. That's <laughs> a great response. <laughs> yeah, I can't say Ashlyn because, you know, she blames me for breaking her, her thumb, which I didn't even break it. Now everybody thinks I broke her thumb. Um, no, I mean, our, our keepers, everybody. I mean, Hope, um, Ashlyn, AD, Jane. Um, it's just the, the pool of goalkeepers we have. I mean, they make it hard for us every single day. We're in the home stretch here. Who's the best teammate you've ever had and why? Best teammate? Probably Heather Metz. Uh, she was someone, when I came onto the team, you know, she was obviously older than me, and she just – she welcomed me in, you know, she, she made me feel comfortable and she was just to just get along with everybody on the team, you know, matter, it didn't matter if you're a veteran, if you were a younger player. Um, and she was, you know, just selfless in, in all the things that she did. Next one. Who's the best coach you've ever had and why? Probably have to say Vlaco. Uh, wow. yeah, he's, he's just, yeah, he's just a, a great guy on and off the field. Um, but you know, he, he holds every single player accountable. Um, if you're performing in practice and you're working extremely hard in training and, and you're doing well and doing the things that he asks, I mean, you're going to be rewarded with playing time. And so I think that that maybe hasn't always happened throughout the career, throughout my career with, with other coaches. Um, but he, he, he finds a way to get the, the best out of you uh, from an individual. And, and he's uh, just a, a great coach who, who knows the game very well. Last question on this one. What's the best advice you have ever gotten? Best advice? Uh, empty the tank every day. You know, just, just giving it your all in every single thing that you have. If, if, you know, you're tired, if you don't feel like getting up out of bed to work out or to, you know, go do a presentation at work, just try to be the best that you can be on that day and just try to be better than you were the day before. And if you kind of have that approach, um, soon it just becomes ingrained in you and you just are that way every single day. Well, Carly Lloyd, you are off the hot seat. I think I've been interviewing you now for 14 years around that. Uh, and just want to say how much I appreciate, uh, that over the years and how uh, you put thought in these interviews and just really appreciate it. No problem. Always good to chat with you.
Thanks for listening to the Planet Football Podcast. I'd like to thank Dr. Celine Gounder and Carly Lloyd, as well as producer Harry Swartout and everyone at Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Remember, if you like the podcast, it would really help us out if you go to Apple Podcasts and provide a rating and a review, and we'd appreciate you recommending the podcast to someone you know. Be safe, everyone. See you next time.